contrary to popular belief, professionalism is not dead on football and other F-words. Welcome into the show. My name is Zach Lyons. I am joined by Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Miracles. You can follow me at FWordsPod. You can also head over to BroadwaySportsMedia.com, get you a lifetime membership. And by lifetime, I mean you need to pay it for the whole length of your life because we're not going anywhere. We're here. (laughs) We're here for your whole life. And it is $9.99 a month. And we also have annual memberships where you can pay yearly. That way you don't have to pay every month. I mean, just pay it and set it and forget it, right? Head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com. We have Nashville Predators, and they're actually doing really well. And we have coverage for that. We have the Nashville Soccer Club, which is starting off to be a pretty good team. Go, And we have coverage for that, lots of coverage for that. Yeah, and we, of we, course, we probably have the, the best Nashville SC coverage in town. We, I, I'm not going to brag, but yeah. it is. It is. Do we have the only Nashville soccer coverage in town? Possibly. I don't know. But we <laughs> it's got the only it. one you need. It's the only one you need. And it's all in one place, all in one price. Don't forget all the Titans coverage we got. We will be doing some more draft stuff. And we have live videos. We interact. I mean, you got to get in there. Free for you. To get in on these free articles, we have premium articles. We have it all. Head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com. Mike, it's me and you today. Michael is Michael Gillum. He is out today. I'm pretty sure he has wall-to-wall meetings about timeshares. Can you confirm that? I can confirm. He is uh, looking at several timeshare options. Uh, very excited to hear all that these timeshares have to have to offer, which, you know, they are um, always very low pressure sales. So yeah. um, I think he's uh, he's going to have fun today. Well, speaking of pressure, let's talk about the pressure that the Raiders and 49ers are currently under for basically putting out statements that, you know, over this, uh, over the verdict that happened on uh, Tuesday, which was applaud, sort of half applaud, right? I mean, like it was on. It's great that he's found guilty, but it was also, you know, shouldn't really have taken this long. I feel like, but hey, the end result is he's guilty. He's in jail. Um, but the Raiders and 49ers kind of put out weird messages, and we'll start <laughs> with the Raiders. The Raiders put out a. I can breathe message. And the the problem with that message is that it came from straight from Mark Davis and nobody told Mark Davis that, Hey, this was a slogan on a shirt worn by the, uh, worn by the cops or the NYPD back in 2014, you know, is after the killing of Eric Garner, you know, that's the job of someone, right? I understand he's your boss and it's the he's the man, right? I mean, he is the man that pays your paychecks, signs your paychecks, make sure that you know your money's in your account. But someone in the PR, someone in you know the social media team should have said, Hey, I don't think this is the right message you want to send because and, and, and would have explained it. And even without the NYPD stuff. It's just a weird way to like, it's not the right 
phrase, right? I mean, no, because of the verdict, he, he can't breathe. Like, obviously, what happened happened. Um, and, you know, is it justice? Sure. But it, it, it doesn't right the wrong that happened initially. Um, and, and it almost paints that picture that, oh, well, now everything's good. No, it's not like that's that's not what where we are. And just that that phrase, like I just cringed as soon as I saw it. And then, I, you know, obviously it's just everywhere now, but it, it is it's a bad statement on so many levels. I can't believe they, they left it up. It's just well, and, it, and you know, down on it. Almost. They, they doubled down on it because he I mean, he says here's some here's the quotes from from Mark Davis, because there were some of the quotes are only being sent and passed around. But there's a full thread uh, to Sean Reed, um, I guess, interviewed him and he to Sean Reed writes for The Athletic. Um, he learns, okay, after I brought that up to him about the I Can Breathe NYPD stuff, I learned something, this is what Mark Dave said, I learned something, I have to do a little bit more research into that just so I can speak coherently on that aspect. More from Davis. Let me say this right off the bat. I was not aware of that. Absolutely not. I had no idea of that. That's a situation I was not aware of. I can see where there could be some negativity towards what I said based on that. And Davis I will not delete it. I would unpin it. I could unpin it and let it run its course. It's already out there, Tashan. I rarely, rarely post stuff, but I'm not into erasing something. It's not an apology. I'm not embarrassed what I said, but I did learn something now. Right stance, wrong stance. I mean, you know, how, how would you have handled it? I mean, I would kind of unpin it. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, don't you? It's I out mean, there, right? You're never. It's never gone. But I would probably have not chosen to pin it. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't pin it. I, I'd probably unpin it. it. I mean, at the very least, just because I don't know. I, I feel like drawing more attention to it every day is is not the right play here. Um, you know, if you if you want to leave it up, that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, once an account like the Raiders tweet something out. A, you if you delete it it still exists like right everyone has a screenshot or whatever of it it's not it's never going to go away everyone knows what happened um and they can find an image of it if they if they want to um but yeah un unpin it let it get buried in your feed and and move on i mean obviously you stuck your foot in your mouth and and just move on as quick as possible it doesn't seem that hard you know really you know now would have been a good time to fire mike mayock <laughs> right yeah distract everyone yeah you're yeah. out of here mayock <laughs> uh speaking of the raiders and stuff i just want to get into something you know a lot of people are are you know calling it racist and all that kind of stuff that this you know i think it's more ignorance than racist and i'm not i don't listen i don't know mark davis but i can tell you that al davis has done the raiders historically is one of the most diverse and inclusive um franchises to ever exist in almost i mean all of the nfl and maybe for as long as they've been doing it probably a lot of other sports for those who don't know al davis was a coach of the raiders in the afl and he had to go play a game against uh in mobile alabama uh against another afl team but in alabama at the time they were segregating uh, in the 60s, hotel rooms for black and white uh, players. And so when he found that out, he made the AFL move the game 
to Oakland because he wasn't going to handle, he doesn't, he doesn't believe in segregation. And then on top of that, he was the first guy to start targeting HBCU players in football. And he was the first person in the modern era to draft a, and start a black quarterback. Uh, and then as we all know, or as most people should know, he hired the first Latino head coach and the first, uh, and started the first Latino quarterback, and they both won uh, two Super Bowls for the Raiders. And then on top of that, he hired the first woman executive in Amy Trask. And on top of that, he fired or fired, hired the first black uh, head coach as well. I mean, this is a guy who has historically been inclusive, and obviously he's gone. But you know, a lot of racism is 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 nurtured. It's not nature. It's nurtured into people. Hate is bred into people from that. Those people. So I don't think Mark Davis is a guy coming from hate in his heart. I think he's just coming from ignorance in his head and, and on top of his head with that haircut. Yeah. I mean, anyone with that haircut already has questionable decision-making. So yeah, I, I don't think it was a malicious thing by any means. I think he meant well, he just, you know, it's one of those things, you know, like you said, he needs somebody who can tell him no in his organization. And obviously he didn't have that uh, yesterday. So um, that, that's a good, uh, good message to everyone out there. Just think before you like hit send. Sometimes yeah. it's better to say nothing at all. Honestly. I mean, it really you don't is. always have to comment on everything. <laughs> Speaking of a team that should have said nothing at all, the San Francisco 49ers released a statement. This is your going to be your first time hearing it. This is what they said. As an organization that serves an important role in our community, the 49ers have responsibility to speak out against racism and hate. While the verdict in Minnesota is a step towards justice, we will we still have a long way to go in the equitable treatment of communities of color. We will continue to use our platform to drive awareness, spark conversation, and inspire action. We will also continue to support organizations creating racial equality and policing, ending mass incarceration, and promoting educational and economic advancement in the black community. The work must and will go on. Now, this is a franchise that not so long ago ditched the guy, the face of this movement. Everything they said, they decided they were not going to stand behind that guy. Could there have been any uh, an emptier message. I mean, to me, that's an empty message. Now, whether they do do stuff in the community and everything, I'm, I'm sure they do. Most teams do, right? And most teams are against racism, I, I would have to say. But the guy who basically used his platform to drive awareness, spark conversation, and inspire action, Colin Kaepernick, is no longer with the team and they did not stand behind him and ditched him as quickly as they could. So like, to me, that's a team that should have said nothing. That is an, a great example of a team that should just said, you know what? We probably shouldn't send this message since we basically ruined the career of a, of a young quarterback. Yeah. You know, I, and I understand for them, it definitely looks worse because of what happened previously. Now, I think you can scold them for how they handled the whole Kaepernick situation and still leave room for them to learn and grow. Like, I mean, the Kaepernick thing was, was about what, five years ago now. Um, so maybe, 
you know, the organization is trying to move in a, a different direction uh, culturally. And then great for them if they, if they really are um, as far as, you know, being anti-racist. And I, I don't know that they were ever not anti-racist, but they, they, you know, their actions help build some of this situation, right? Like what they did with Kaepernick and, and basically just letting him be run out of the league. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I can cut them a little bit more slack than the, I can the Raiders because the Raiders, <laughs> the Raiders statement's just so bad in them doubling down on it. What the 49ers said is a good sentiment. Um, it just kind of rings hollow because of their past actions. But I mean, I, I do uh, allow always for people to grow and change and, and that goes for organizations too. So, you know, if, I, I don't have a huge problem with them saying it, you know, maybe they could have just stayed silent, but I think almost every team in the NFL put out some sort of statement. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I think the Titans just to connect it here locally, theirs was very simple and straightforward and, and really, you know, I think a, a, a very good statement to make on, you know, on a day like that, you know, basically we are against racism in, in all forms and committed to, to fight against it, you know, wherever it stands. Um, that's simple. That's to the point that everyone knows, uh, you know, kind of where you stand there. Um, I, I think that's probably the appropriate tone on a day like yesterday. I will say this, uh, but we won't read the statements, but you need to go check out the NFL's official Twitter account and the Vikings official Twitter accounts for their statements. If you go to the Vikings Twitter account profile, you can see both their statements right above each other. Um, but they are really, really good statements. And really, those are the teams that that those are the entities in the world of the NFL that really their statements matter the most because Minnesota obviously is where the, the incident took place. And the NFL is, you know, the overarching stuff. Really good statements by both of them. Let's get into the Titans NFL PA statement where they basically have joined the rest of the most of the rest of the NFL in making boycotting already voluntary workouts. Uh, we pretty much have said our thing, but the thing that I want to talk about on the Titans statement is their idea that they have done research into injury and don't and it does not make sense for them to um be due to injury to they they think that injuries will happen more in the otas that are voluntary than if they skip them which doesn't make any sense right mike yeah i i'm kind of and we we kind of talked last week or I, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before now i think it was last week uh about where we stand on this whole otas thing but yeah, I don't think the maybe they have different data than what's out there publicly, but the data from last year, as far as injuries go, does not suggest that skipping OTAs and and all that is is what's best. Now, maybe you know, are you more likely to get injured during OTAs than if you are just working out in your gym? Probably, but. I think all that balances against are you getting better at your craft and, and, and stuff like that too. And, and my biggest thing is like, these are voluntary. They've always been voluntary, at least going back to the 2011 CBA. So 
if you don't want to go, don't go. If you want to go, go. Like, and if you are one of these guys that doesn't want to go to OTAs, but you're worried that someone else is going to take your position by going to OTAs and getting better and uh, taking your roster spot, you know what? That That's the risk you take. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Like, I feel like all jobs are this way, right? There right. are – the bare like there are the bare minimum that you have to do right like that is always a set thing but how many companies have you worked for you know it doesn't have to be in athletics it can be in any any you know realm of life where there are people that are going to go above and beyond the bare minimum call of duty set forth by your contract right like there's going to be people that work a few extra hours to get something done every now and then or or people that just put in a little extra effort or do extra things and you know what? Those people tend to advance and, and get promotions and earn extra uh, benefits because, hey, people like that. People notice that. People want people who are plugged in and willing to put forth extra effort. So, look, if if you don't want to go to OTAs, don't go to OTAs. But don't pressure everyone else to, to do the same as you simply because you don't want to lose your job, too. Like, that is... That that is part of the deal, right? Like, if you want to do extra work, do extra work. Let, let's end this segment on this because we talked about it last week. The NFL in the first half in 2020 suffered 555 injuries. So this is these are injuries that the game had to pause for, right? The game paused 550 times from week one through week eight for injuries. It is a direct correlation, and obviously injuries were up as a whole, but this is a direct correlation to n- not having your body ready for the rigors of the NFL, which OTAs helps with OTAs helps the young guys and all this stuff. Think of all the fantasy football players. If you played fantasy football weeks one through eight were a massacre for fantasy football players and high profile fantasy football players. And there's a direct correlation to this. The people that only agree with the players in this discussion they then can't side with the ownership. It's just it's just crazy to me. Let me say this. The NFLPA historically only cares about the top 5% of players and themselves. And and listen, the, 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 the owners themselves only care about themselves. Both sides do. The, the people that are suffering are your NFL, quote unquote, middle to lower class players that need these OTAs these free agents that are joining a new team that they've never played with and trying to build a chemistry. Look at a team like the Jets. Sure, they suck because they're the Jets, right? But now they have a new quarterback, new head coach, new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, new offensive system, new defensive system, and a load of free agent players that they have signed that all need to get together in jail, and now they can't. You can't do it on a Zoom meeting. It's, it's ridiculous. This whole thing is ridiculous, and I really hope that J.C. Trader stays uh, healthy all offseason or all regular season because if not, the first thing I would point out is, man, should have gone to OTAs. Okay, so let's get into just real quick Alex Smith and Daquan Jones. Daquan Jones signed with the Carolina Panthers. Alex Smith retired. What will you remember the most about Alex Smith's era? I think what I'll end up remembering the most is the injury comeback and the, kind of the emotional story of last year. You know, frankly, like 
he was a okay quarterback. Um, you know, maybe above average at times when he was with the chiefs, that run, um, that kind of set the table for what they ended up becoming under Patrick Mahomes. He was good and he was putting up, you know, pro bowl ish numbers. Um, and, and again, people forget that, you know, the chiefs were really good before Patrick Mahomes got there. Um, so, you know, I think that's the, probably the two things I remember about him is, you know, he was he had a really good run under Andy Reid, and then the the injury comeback will probably be the thing that that sticks the longest. And and those gruesome images of his leg, I mean, that's that's some of the that's probably the worst football injury I've ever seen. Uh, you know, with with my own uh, with with my own eyes, just looking at, at photos and stuff like that. I think I remember the most is tiny hands. We're big hands guys on this on this draft, and he was That's one of the right. first players I remember having tiny hands, and he had those huge fumbling issues. When, uh, but no, he's a great guy, and I do remember the. I actually was watching the game where he came in for the Washington football team, and like he took those first couple of hits, and they were panned to his family. I think those images may burn and may always be burned in my head as well. The let me ask you this: This is such a millennial thing, and and I am not surprised one bit on who came up with this idea, or at least the first person I saw come up with it. Buck Rising on Midday 180 wants to call the change the comeback player of the year award to the Alex Smith Memorial Trophy or some crazy bullshit like that. I mean, come on. Is that not the most millennial thing you've ever heard? Yeah, we, we don't we don't have to do that. I mean, because honestly, like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, comeback player of the year it can be from multiple things, right? Like usually it's from injury, but I, I think like they leave it a little bit open to interpretation. Well, I, I mean, feel like Tannehill you, won it. Yeah. Tannehill won it. He wasn't necessarily coming back from injury. He's coming back from Adam Gase. So, yeah. um, you know, I think uh, naming it after Alex Smith makes everyone makes, will change the connotation. I think a little bit of that award and make it only for like a guy who came back from a gruesome injury. Um, so no, I, I leave it as it is. Come back player of the year. It's not that, but it's not a bad name. It's the most millennial thing ever. I mean, I just, I, if we're, if we're not going to change offensive player of the year, the name of that, or, or the MVP, like the MVP isn't named after anybody. Um, so I don't think any, any of the words should be named after people. Yeah. If they're, if they're not going to do that. Daquan Jones signed with the Carolina Panthers surprised that he did not come back with the Tennessee Titans. I know that he got a 4 million fully guaranteed deal. And with the, the salary cap of the Tennessee Titans kind of makes sense why they passed. Yeah. I mean, you know, two down run stuffer doesn't give you anything as a pass rusher value valuable is in a run defense uh, kind of, you know, role. Sure. Um, but I think you can find cheaper players to plug in and, and kind of do um similar things to what he did and, and maybe you know they may be going in a different direction there in general um which i'm not totally opposed to i mean it, it's not that daquan jones was a bad player it's just that you know when this defense lacked juice and ability to get after the passer he was a part of that i mean like first and second downs are not not 70 run anymore um, you know, a lot of teams, especially these, these teams like the Titans that are going to the play action passing game a lot on, on early downs, you've got to have guys who can win, you know, as a pass rusher. And, and that was never something that Daquan was able to develop in his game. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm not terribly surprised that he ended up signing elsewhere, especially at, at that sticker number, just because 
I mean, four million dollars fully guaranteed on a one-year deal is is a pretty big chunk of salary cap given the the current cap constraints. And, and to be honest, when you look at Daquan Jones, exceptional, exceptional, almost borderline elite run-stopping def- defensive lineman, right? I mean, like hmm. one of the best Close, in yeah. the league. Yeah, yeah. Top but I would give up a lot of that defensive lineman prowess on the run stopping for some pass rush. And if you can find a guy in the draft and we'll talk about a couple of the players that we love and hate on the defensive side of the ball and Hey, we'll just transition right into it. But if you can bring me a Christian Barmore or a Milton Williams or someone like that, that can affect the pass rush too, and still not lose a lot in the run game, you know, I'd give it up, right? I mean, don't you yeah. take the cheaper rookie that can bring you a little bit more? Don't you give up one thing to get better at another thing that's more important, which is pass rush? Yeah, absolutely. And and also, I think it, it comes into play that when you paid Danico Autry, obviously Simmons isn't coming off the field very much. He's a, he's a guy that they're going to want to be a core piece. You're going to have Simmons on the field a lot. You're going to have Autry on the field a lot. So this role that Daquan Jones would have had to come back to would have probably been something closer to like a 40% snap count kind of role, um, you know, nose tackle and base defense, but you're in base defense. Maybe you, you have three defensive linemen truly on the field, probably 30, 40% of the time, maybe when they go to that, like kind of elephant end look uh, that they use sometimes. Um, but yeah, you, you're just not going to use him enough to justify paying a significant amount of the salary cap and yeah there, there are this defensive line class is a little bit strange but there are guys you know christian barmore levi on luzurike uh are, are two of my you favorite nailed that last name I, I wouldn't i wasn't even gonna attempt you're gonna venture i i like i like that guy a lot so i've been i've been working on his name i, I nailed it um but those are those are the kind of guys that you know davion nixon Another guy that, yeah, like you said, give you a little bit of pass rush juice along with, you know, being being able to play the run. So, you know, frankly, if you can if you can give me one of those guys on the roster um, to kind of rotate in and, and, you know, give you a three man front with with one of them, plus Simmons and Autry, you know, and Dupree and Landry on the outside, all of a sudden your front is looking pretty, pretty salty uh, across the line. So. We'll, we'll see what they end up doing there. Um, and we can get into what Matt Miller said uh, here as well, but it's um, yeah, I, I think, I think it makes sense in that context that, you know, going younger, going cheaper, you know, Daquanto is 30 years old. Um, you know, if, if he's, if he was going to ever show a pass rush, he would have done it by now. Um, so it's, and he's likely to decline in the next few years. Uh, the Titans have always moved off of, especially defensive players, right around the time they turn 30, they're moving off of them. They've been consistent about that. Casey Butler, Logan Ryan, all these guys, as soon as they came Vaccaro, as soon as they, they get to be about 30 years old, the Titans are moving on. Um, Cause defense is so critical about just being explosive and, and athletic uh, given the, the way that modern offenses play. So like you just alluded to the, let's talk about defensive players. We love and hate. Let's let's talk about this defensive tackle class just real quick. Players that you love their value and hate their value. And I believe Christian Barmore is probably going to be a little bit more on the hate. But because you alluded to something, how often is he going to see the field? 
And are you really drafting that guy in the first round to see the field in a limited amount of snaps? Now, granted, he's more versatile than, and he could maybe rotate in and out with Danico Autry because I think I feel like his game is closer to Danico Autry than Jeffrey Simmons. But you're talking about a guy that has some character issues that about apparently he doesn't practice really hard, which I found very odd considering that he was with Nick Saban. Um, it doesn't seem like Saban would do that, but it's also odd to me that if he doesn't practice hard, he improved his game from year one to year two. And you're talking about a guy that has tons of potential and he seems to be exceeding that every year, these last two years, he's inconsistent. And here's what Matt Miller said. The Titans have a long list of needs after they had to make difficult salary cap moves this offseason, but I'm told the interior defensive line is a priority for them. The only issue is that this interior defensive line class is the weakest I've ever evaluated. Barmore, Levi, Onwuzuriki. Did I get it? Onwuzuriki, yeah. Oh, I got it. Nailed it. Davion Nixon are the consistent top three ranked players, which I would argue with that. Davion over Milton Williams. I really like Milton Williams. Keep this in mind if the Titans bypass needs at cornerback, wide receiver, right tackle in round one. Matt Miller is very connected. You know, he called the Jeffrey Simmons, and that was probably the last, probably out of the few first-round picks that John Robinson has had as a tenure. I'd say Jack, Jack Conklin is the best, and then I'd say you could argue that it's Jeffrey Simmons or Dory Jackson, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Miller actually got uh, Isaiah Wilson last year yeah. too on his. So his final mock draft, he's gotten right for the Titans the last two years now. Yeah. So we're, we haven't got his final mock draft yet. Obviously that will come next week. How are you feeling about that statement that they could be passing on cornerback could be passing a wide receiver. Do you have a defensive tackle that you love and is Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle that you hate just based on value? Yeah, so I, I'm very conflicted because I do agree with the idea that if you if you feel like defensive tackle is a need spot that you need to go add to your roster, you've got to do it early in this class because I don't love any of the late guys. Like, I think it's a shallow defensive line class. There's only like four or five guys I really like um, in, in this class that I think could be difference makers. Um, so – it does make sense to me that if you're going to go get one, maybe you have to go get one early. But again, I, I don't really love Barmore so much at 22. Um, you know, if he slid somehow to 53, sure. But, you know, there was rumblings out there, and I can't remember who, who put it out there last, uh, last week. There was people talking about Barmore potentially being the second defensive player off the board. Um, so, like, there, there are – I think there's a very low probability of him being there at 53. I think he's going to go in the first round somewhere um, just based off. He's for sure. Barmore has the physical tool set, right? Like six, five, three, 10 explosive, agile, powerful. Um, he's got kind of the full, full car wash, like the, the premium car wash uh, version of tool sets. Um, so I think if you want to take a, a little bit of a gamble on a guy that's got a really high upside. He's the highest upside defensive tackle in the class. I think by far, I think on Zurique is a little bit safer um, just because I, you know, he's, he showed more consistency to me than Barmore did, even if his 
flashes weren't quite as elite as what Barmore's flashes were. Um, so I think he's a little bit higher floor, lower ceiling type guy that could be safer. But I, I also would not like him at 22. I, I think he's a guy at 53. There's not a guy, frankly, in this defensive cl- line class that I would take at 22 personally. Um, you know, if it's Barmore, I kind of understand it because of the high upside. But I mean, after last year's debacle in the first round, I feel like you got to be really sure if you're going to take a guy that has any sort of red flags uh, at 22. And, and, you know, they would know probably better than me what, what Barmore's like off the field, obviously. Um, but I don't know. I, any it, it just feels risky to me in, in the first round well let's talk about a guy that also has risk but it's a different kind of risk and a player that i love and i think you love too and you would i think we both would take him at 22 if it was up to us caleb farley now back injuries aside you're talking about someone that could be a top five corner if injuries you know, don't spring up. And let, let's talk about the injuries just real quick. The He should have got both discs pretty much taken care of in the first surgery, but he didn't. And it, and because he thought that he could work through it because it was that minor of an injury. It didn't work. It flared up, and he had a recent back surgery and outpatient surgery. The likelihood based on his age, his level of fitness is probably around 6 or 7% of it coming back to really bite him in the butt. Now, we've seen this team draft Jeffrey Simmons, who had an ACL tear. We know that Caleb Farley's further along on his rehab process than what Jeffrey Simmons was, technically. They've recently signed, people never really bring this up, but they recently signed, you know, Jadavian Clowney and Bud Dupree at the edge, you know, over these last two seasons. And they both were unsure of their status going into week one. Um, You know, really... I think that this, if he falls to 22, it's a, it's a steal and you have to jump all over him. Is he the, the cornerback, the realistic cornerback option at 22 that you love the most, or is there someone else that you love the most? He would be the guy I'd love the most. Cause I mean, I, look, it, it's definitely the back issue is a concern, right? Like it, it's, you never necessarily want your first round pick to be coming off of surgery but I mean obviously the Titans have had that happen a ton uh under John Robinson and and haven't shied away from it and you know it's worked out sometimes where they have gotten value um like Jeffrey Simmons uh, you know is certainly not there at 20 or at 19 uh when the Titans took him if not for the ACL and and so they get they get a value there um Farley could uh, you know be a lot the same way he was certainly in the conversation for cornerback one prior to this, this outpatient deal. So even with the ACL in college, even with the the first back issue, you know, teams were still, you know, looking at him as a possible top cornerback. So like you said, if this was just a cleanup of a previous issue that probably should have already been taken care of, but now, you know, it, it was just, you know, kind of putting this thing to bed finally for him, um, then I feel like, you know, obviously it depends on what the medicals look like, what the doctors say, all that stuff. But if you get a, a good probability of, yeah, he can stay healthy. There's nothing structurally wrong here, uh, that we're worried about as far as, you know, just being a constant issue for him moving forward. 
God, the talent is unbelievable. Like he is, he's got the length, he's got the size. He's, I think, six two to ten ish. Runs reportedly runs in the four twos. I mean, he had what twenty four miles per hour. He ran in a game. Yeah, yeah, over over twenty four miles per hour. I read a story about him where. You know, he, when he got on campus, you know, one of the, you know, he raced like the fastest guy in Virginia Tech's team previously and absolutely dusted him. And everybody that's come on campus since has kind of challenged him. And he just, it's not even close. Like, it's not like he's just barely beating these guys. He just blows these guys away. Um, So I think the speed is legit. It shows up on film. Uh, he's got unbelievable feet. Like his, his feet, his match and mirror are really, really good. Uh, and he's a guy that's still just learning the cornerback position. I mean, he, he was a quarterback in high school, um, came to Virginia tech as a quarterback, then moved to wide receiver, then moved to corner um, just because of kind of how their rosters shook up and, and uh, you know, what the coaches felt like he would excel at. And, you know, they were right to move him to corner. He, he certainly excelled there uh, in 2019. And then obviously sat out because of uh, COVID uh, in 2020. So I, I think he's a guy that talent wise could probably would have been a top 10 pick uh, if, if everything had been fine health wise. So if you can get him there at, at 22 and you feel good about his long-term health, you know, prognosis, man, that is, that's a home run pick. He's, he's clearly better than Greg Newsom as far as talent level. Um, well, and Greg Newsom kind of looks like an 11 year old child. Like, have you, I mean, he's Newsom's very little, thin. A guy. He's and then, thin. but like when you see his uh, photo op picture for like the, the thing, I mean, he looks very, very young. Like, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It was jarring when I saw it. It's like, there's no way. Was this taken when he was in high school? Like, what is this picture? But, I mean, he's very thin. I am a little worried about the Greg Newsom, but I don't think Greg Newsom. I mean, he may be there. He may not. But I think that if Caleb Farley, if it's down to Caleb Farley or Greg Newsom at 22, it's Caleb Farley all day long. Yeah. And let's, and you, you mentioned it. He was a running back and uh, in high school. Quarterback. Uh, no, he was a running back his senior year of high school and ran for 2,500 yards, Caleb Farley. I, I thought he ran for that as a quarterback. Oh, not according to what PFF wrote, but, oh. you know, let's see here. Huh. It just says, well, no, he was a quarterback. My bad. It, yeah. The second yeah. line said he's quarterback, I just assumed. But as a quarterback, uh, ran for 2,500 rushing yards, which is insane yeah. for anybody, whether a running back or a quarterback. It doesn't really matter, but it's insane. Like 250 yards a game. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, this guy is is an athlete. He has a chip on his shoulder. You know, I think this is a guy that you, you said that he was a top cornerback in, in before this surgery. Not only was he that, I think he was a top 10 player, maybe also maybe even close to top five player in this NFL draft at one point in time on most people's draft boards. This would be very eerily similar to the Jeffrey Simmons, who was a top 10 player, maybe the best defensive lineman in that class falling at at that point. So just real quick, let's say that we draft, uh, we see the Tennessee Titans draft Caleb Farley. Where does he fit on this team? What happens to the defensive back backfield room on this team in the rotation? So, you know, obviously the reports are that he's going to be ready to start training camp. I think his his 
end of his uh, rehab time falls like a week or two before the start of most teams training camps this year. So um, I would expect him to be healthy and competing for a starting job right away. Obviously if, if he's the pick at, at 22, I think probably the best combination, if you are just looking at talent and ability and, and where these guys would and should fit, I think the best combination of guys that you can get on the field right now would be to have Christian Fulton and Caleb Farley playing outside and Janoris Jenkins in the slot. Jor- sorry, Janoris who? Jenkins, Janoris J- Jackrabbit. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank Excuse you. me. Excuse me. My, my apologies. So Jackrabbit has played in the slot before. Uh, he's had success there. He's played in the NFL for a long time. He's probably the best tackler uh, out of those three. And that's something that you need uh, out of that spot if, if they're going to have, you know, they, they've got to be a part of the run fit if they're going to play inside there uh, sometimes. So um, Jackrabbit to me is if you're trying to get the best three guys on the field, you put him in the slot and then you play Fulton, the young guys, Fulton and Farley outside. Uh, that would be how I'd envision it working, and you bury Kevin Johnson on the bench. Is there any defensive back that the Tennessee Titans could draft that would have you punching a hole in the wall? doesn't have to be at 22, just at any spot that you feel is too high for a certain player. Oh, goodness. Um, so I'm not a big Tyson Campbell guy. Um, it just – yeah, the guy, the corner out of Georgia. I like Eric Stokes a little bit better, but I'm honestly not huge on either one of those guys. Um, and, and this isn't just like the the Georgia stain of Isaiah Wilson, uh, you know, creeping into my my thinking here. I don't think either guy is very natural at finding the ball in there. Like, you know, say what you want about like obviously Greg Newsom's stature isn't very big, but that guy is really good at making plays on the ball when it's in the air. And I, th- I don't think that's something that typically gets better uh, at the next level. I think that's a feel thing. I think that's a uh, kind of just gift uh, that, that some guys have, some guys don't. Um, and I don't love either Stokes or Campbell in that regard. And, and I don't think either one's a particularly good tackler either. So, and that's, that's an issue um, if you're going to play corner for the Titans. So um, I, I think either of those guys, I, I'd be a little disappointed uh, to see them come off the board. Cause you're probably going to have to pick them at 53 uh, if you wanted either one of those guys. And, and, you know, there's some people that think Stokes could even go in the first round, which if you take Stokes at 22, I'm, I'm certainly punching the wall. All right. I like to hear that. I'm going to hold you to it. Okay. So let's move into the offensive side of the ball. Um, offensive players that you love the most for 22 for me, I I'm split. I like Rashad Bateman, obviously, but Harris Marshall Jr. is such an intriguing prospect. And I think that, you know, what he could bring physically to the field is is something special. So, like, those are my top two offensive players I love at 22. I have a myriad of wide receivers I love at 22 and 53 in almost every round. Um, But those are the offensive players that I think I love the most at 22. Yeah, I, I think for me, Bateman's number one at 22. Um, he, he's my guy. I think he's pretty popular across the board. But, you know, there again, and you, you don't, it's lying season, right? So we don't know what to take seriously, what's agent talk, what's teams trying to smoke screen out, you know, different stuff. But there was talk about him last, last week about 
Bateman, some teams like him a lot and to the point where they have him, you know, some teams have him wide receiver one, wide receiver two on their board. So could it be possible that Bateman ends up going in the top 10, top 15? I think that's in play. I, I don't think it's a guarantee for sure, for sure that he's going to be there at 22. Um, so now if he goes earlier, maybe you see somebody like Devonte Smith or, or Jalen Waddle somehow fall into the range for the Titans, which would be crazy. Um, which those, either one of those I'd, I'd be, you know, sprint to the podium, handing in the card within seconds of, of going on the clock. If I was John Robinson, um, I do like Terrace Marshall, the guy, the guys that I'm most nervous about it, you know, at that 22 range and even at the 53 range, Kadarius, Tony and, and Rondell Moore, um, both of them, Tony injury issues. I think he's, uh, he the way he won at Florida was was kind of a lot of freelance. He almost reminds me of Kendall Wright uh, coming out of Baylor in the way that you know it was just kind of they gadgeted him the ball a lot. They you know he's obviously a fantastic, uh, just natural athlete as far as his ability to separate, his ability to to just get open. But it wasn't his traditional route running wasn't there on tape. He has the injury concerns, you know, I, I, there's just, he's a one-year producer that didn't really come on until he was 22 years old um, and a senior at Florida. So I, I don't know. I, he makes me very nervous at 22. And again, a guy that's been rumored to possibly be a top 15 pick. So I, you know, I would be okay with him being off the board, but by the time the Titans get on the board um, and then Rondo Moore, tiny, super injury prone just makes me very nervous despite all his explosive athleticism and, and gifts. So well, yeah, speaking of explosive athleticism, of. Nico Collins is a wide receiver that is on my radar. It's been, he's been, he's kind of, his value has kind of dropped. He was a, he was for sure going to be gone in the second round and a lot of mocks early on in the season. He's one of those players that was high and now you can get him in like the fourth round of mock drafts, obviously. And obviously yeah. that's, it's no perfect science, but you know, it is what it is, but I really think that Nico Collins is a top 10 wide receiver in this draft class. And it's a loaded draft class. Um, he's, he's a player. I really like his size. I really like his athleticism and I like his hands and he played with a horrible quarterback and he still somehow, Produced at a high level in the Big Ten. The let me ask you this: Devonte Smith, if he falls to this spot, the Titans have to trade up and get him. Gosh, I I'm so anti trade up that it would have to be like two spots, and I'm only giving up a fourth round pick or something like that. I mean that that would be maybe where I'd start to you know, be comfortable. If you could get up to say 19 or something by only giving up a fourth round pick plus 22. Sure. But I'm not going way up to get him because, you know, one, while I think that a lot of the size concerns are, are mostly just over overcooked at this point, it's, it's over analysis. Um, it's at least enough of an outlier to make me pause about giving up major draft ass, draft assets to go get him. Um, but I just, I keep coming back to 
this team has so many spots where they need young, talented depth who can, you know, even if they're not a starter right away and, and most of, they don't mostly need starters right away, right? Like they have most of their starting lineup set, but they need young depth that can replace some of these guys that are getting older at so many positions across the roster that it just, a fourth round pick is a guy that you expect to make the team and to hopefully develop into something uh, within two to three years that is at least a part of the rotation you need guys like that to kind of start backfilling because they, they have so many spots where they're just thin behind the starters at this point. So um, I just hate to trade off. I, I'm, I'm more trade down than trade up at this point. Yeah. The problem with the trade down is that everybody wants to trade down. It seems, and there's only yeah. going to be a few teams that ever want to trade up. I, I think, you know, we saw that, John Robinson tried even alluded to the fact that he basically wanted to trade down last year and he couldn't find anybody to trade up. And I think you're going to run into that same problem this year in a loaded draft class. Let yeah. me ask you this. They take a right tackle. It, it, what? Because I don't believe that Tevin Jenkins is probably going to be there at 22. I, I'd be, I think that with the, the teams ahead of you, I think he's one of those guys that's going to go before Tevin Jenkins or go before the Titans pick, but they walk away with the right tackle in a off season that could move to all virtual. Is that a smart allocation of resources for 2021? Or do you think that much like you made the argument with Isaiah Wilson last year, you're getting a guy that can start for you long-term and it's, it's okay. You know, I don't, I don't think you should scratch right tackle off simply because you tried it last year and it didn't work. Like, obviously, last year they felt like they needed to invest a pick there to, to be the long-term guy. I don't think Kendall Lamb certainly changes that. He's just a little bit younger, a little bit cheaper Dennis Kelly to me. Um, you know, they're very similar background type guys. So I still think you need a, a long-term play at right tackle. Um, so – if the best player on your board is a right tackle at 22, at the end of the day, it's about getting great players, right? So last year they tried and they didn't get a great player, clearly. Um, we don't know what kind of player Isaiah Wilson ever could have been because he never tried to play professional football for them. So if it's Tevin Jenkins and, and you think Tevin Jenkins is an all-pro right tackle for 10 years, uh, and you don't have the the wide receivers or the corners or or whoever else on your board as all pro type players at, at 22 at that point. Yeah, I, I'm okay with them taking a, a, a right tackle if that's the best guy that's that's out there. I mean, you know, if Christian Derrissaw or, or Rashawn Slater somehow fall, I don't think they will. But um, if Jenkins gets pushed up, maybe one of those guys gets pushed down. Yeah, I think there's some there's some good tackles in this class. I think the tackle class is deep, so I, I think you can certainly make an argument for all right, the corner that you get at 22 versus the corner the the right tackle you can get at 22 compa compared to the corner you can get at 85 and the right tackle can you can get at 85. I think there's are arguments to be made there, but at the end of the day, the draft is about getting elite players. Uh, that you can you can have on your team for a long time, uh, you know, and hopefully at a position where you need it. I do think right tackle is still a need. So, I don't know. Tevin Jenkins is the best player available. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Who at 22, besides Kadarius Tony and Rondell Moore, would the Titans draft 
on offense at 22 that would piss you off? Because there are rumors. That, speaking of Matt Miller and his lovely, lovely rumors that he has out there, there is a rumor that Kellen Mond won't slip out of round two the former Texas A&M quarterback started for four years. If they drafted Kellen Mond in round one, oh my God. what would you do? I, I'd turn in my my badge and gun as a as a, a Titans fan and and go into free agency. I I mean I, I probably wouldn't seriously, but I would I would hate that. Kellen Mond is I would hate it if they took him in round two, honestly. I'd, take, I'd hate it if they took him in round three. I'd hate it if they took him in round four. I don't think Kellen Mond's going to be an NFL quarterback as far as a starter. I think his ceiling is a bad quarterback on a bad team. Uh, his, you know, At best, he's probably a good backup at some point in, in his career. So, yeah, I would absolutely hate Kellen Mond in any of the picks that matter. If he, if he slides the seventh, then sure, take the seventh, whatever. Is there another offensive player that you would hate to see the Titans take? Um, I mean, if we stick at quarterback, Kyle Trask, Davis Mills, I, I just don't – Davis Mills, I guess I could kind of see the intrigue, but I don't think this is the class to go get your Tannehill uh, you know, successor – of the future. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm good waiting another year. He's effectively your starter for the next two years anyways. Um, so I, I'd, I'd rather them not go, um, quarterback in, in the draft. And, and I think interior offensive line, while I do love Landon Dickerson, um, I, I probably wouldn't want to take a, an interior offensive lineman at 22, just, just because of the positional value, uh, and, and really, I think there's good, good players at that spot that can be had on day two and even maybe into day three. So I, into any interior offensive lineman, I'm out on at 22. I like it. I like it. I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, that will do it for us. That has been the show and it went by fairly quickly. Um, next week we are going to talk about, you know, our pre our draft predictions, uh, some strategies and stuff like that. And and I think uh, next week, maybe we'll run through a quick mock draft if we have time. Thanks to everybody for joining us. As my name is Zach Lyons, you can follow me on Twitter at FWordsPod. You can follow Mike at Mike Miracles on Twitter. Go to broadwaysportsmedia.com. Secure yourself a membership. We're going to have all kinds of good draft goodies ahead. And not to mention, go to wherever you're listening to this show or wherever you listen to podcasts at rate review subscribe write to your local newspaper give us a you know give us an opinion and all that kind of stuff write your congressman your senator about how great and this show is and how much you enjoy it my name is zach lyons and we are out Broadway Sports Media Production.